You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello and welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, and my co-host, Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have Reckitt Ben Kaiser, Associated British Foods, Unilever, Whitbread, Nestle, and our US company of the week is McDonald's. Sam, shall I kick us off with Reckitt? Absolutely. So I don't know whether it's a favourite of the show, but it does feature regularly alongside all of our other consumer goods companies. It's the owner of Dettol and Durex, and they had their first quarter results out this week with first quarter revenue coming in at £3.9 billion, reflecting like-for-like growth of 7.9%. Higher prices contributed 12.4%, whilst volumes fell by 4.5%. All business units contributed to the growth, with hygiene the weakest of the three divisions, like-for-like net revenue growth of 2% to £1.5 billion, with strong growth from Finnish, Harpic and Vanish, offsetting a high team decline for Lysol after the pandemic. However, this should be the final quarter where Lysol sales come up against inflated comparable periods and growth is expected to return in the next quarter. Health saw like-for-like net revenue growth of 12.5% to £1.6 billion, with the over-the-counter portfolio delivering 30% growth, whilst Intimate Wellness and Durex delivered mid-single-digit growth. The nutrition division delivered like-for-like net revenue growth of 11.9% to £683 million, with mid-single-digit growth in the emerging markets and mid-teen growth in the US. Chris Lick, the new president from the health unit, has been appointed as the chief executive and will take over from the current CEO at the end of the year. Reckitt's targeting between 3 and 5% like-for-like net revenue growth in 2023. And that includes the impact of the competitor supply disruption that acted as a tailwind over 2022 in the US nutrition business, which had previously been excluded from sales guidance. In terms of valuation, Reckitt has a market cap of £46 billion and trades at 19 times forward earnings, has a yield of just under 3%. I thought these results were fairly decent, not the very best of the consumer goods companies, but Reckitt was probably the best performer in the COVID period with the brands like Lysol and Dettol. But we'll see that coming up with um, Unilever and Nestle that we have later in the show. And net debt has also been falling and is now around two times EBITDA. And there's £2.4 billion of expected free cash this year with the final dividend seeing full-year distributions up 5%. This is certainly much healthier than it was a few years ago after the acquisition of the formula business Mead Johnson, which never played out for the group. I do like the brands Reckitt has. However, I think it's probably fairly valued, maybe compared with a couple of ones we're going to come onto, a little bit expensive, I do own it, but I probably, well, I won't be buying any more shares at the moment. I'll just sit tight with it, I think. Sam, what are your thoughts on these results and Reckitt? I thought the results were fine. Yeah, like for like growth of 7.9%. That's, that's all right, I think, especially 
when you consider that it's it's got those named brands, so it can't push on the price. It does have pricing power, but if it pushes too much in inflationary times, people will just switch to the cheaper brands. So it does have a strong, well, it does have some strong brands, but it, it can't push them too much, I don't think. So I think 7.9, it's, it's about where you'd expect it to be. I think 3 to 5% is quite disappointing growth figures, especially if inflation does continue at 10%. And I think for three to five percent growth, I think to pay almost nineteen times earnings is just—it's mm. quite expensive. I would not be comfortable paying that for this business. I don't really have much more to add, just because anything else I would say, I'd then start comparing it to results that we haven't covered yet in the <laughs> yeah. show. So I don't want to give any spoilers. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, On to Associated British Foods then. Yes. So Associated British Foods, they've got quite a few different divisions. They've got a, a sugar division. They've got quite a few consumer goods brands, although nowhere near as much as all the companies John's covering this week. <laughs> um, but it does. the brands do include Patax, Curry Sauces and Kingsmill Bread. But the jewel in the crown really is the retail division, which includes Primark, which I'm sure needs no introduction. So <laughs> Associated British Foods have come out with their half-year results, and first half revenues rose by 17% to $9.6 billion, including the effective exchange rates. This was thanks to growth across all business segments, and the key Primark business grew by more than expected. Sales up 17% to $4.2 billion, thanks to higher prices and volumes. Total underlying operating profit, however, fell 7% to $684 million. Profit across the food businesses grew 4% to $373 million after a particularly strong performance from the ingredients division. Profit at Primark fell 16% to $351 million as the cost of goods, labour, energy and shipping all rose. And Primark decided not to pass the full extent of these rises on to customers. Net debt, including lease liabilities, grew in line with group expectations, rising from $1.8 billion to $2.6 billion. Free cash flow fell from an inflow of 188 million to an outflow of 290 million as the group spent 140 million on share buybacks inventory levels increased in the sugar business and at primark these inventory levels were expected to reduce in the second half for the full year underlying operating profit is expected to be roughly in line with last year at 1.4 billion so if net debt's at 2.6 billion, operating profits at 1.4, I don't really have an issue with that. So that's that's in the range where it can comfortably repay us. At Pri- or I think it can anyway. <laughs> at Primark, the group remains cautious about the resilience of consumer discretionary spending. Dividend increased 3%. If we drill into the results a bit more, so if we go into the retail division, which is basically Primark, which I think is the most important part of the business it's about 50 percent of the business but it's the most stable 50 percent as well because like the sugar for example that's just a commodity so profits for that fluctuate a lot then if we go into primark revenue was up 19 percent and operating profit down 15 percent the margins decreased from 11.7 to 8.3 percent and the return on capital employed has dropped from 14.4 to 12.4 percent they've said in the UK, like the light sales were 15%. Footfall was significantly better in destination city stores and strengthened on high streets and in retail parts. And the value market share increased from 62 to 6.5%. In Europe, excluding the UK, like the light sales were up 8%. They 
They had higher average selling prices in footfall and much improved performances in Spain, France, and Germany. And in the US, sales rose 11%. And they've also started doing click and collect in 25 stores in the north of England. They've said that they've had encouraging results. If that's the case, you'd probably expect to see that rolled out nationwide. I think it's a good way to go. I think if they start trying to do actual online shopping and delivery on those margins, it's just too tough. But I think for click and collect, I don't think there's any reason not to do it. So I think that's quite smart. And then, as mentioned, US revenue was up 11%, but they've also opened three new stores in the period with five more to open in the second half. And those are stores in Buffalo, Albany, Greenacres Mall, New York, Baltimore, Maryland, Jersey Garden Mall, New Jersey. And they've signed two, two new leases in Orlando, Florida and Jersey City, New Jersey. And they're expanding further into southern states, including Texas. And they said the construction of the second U.S. distribution center in Jacksonville, Florida, is progressing well as well. In terms of valuation, the business trades at a forward price to earnings of 14.7. And that compares to a 10-year average of 20.2. And the prospective yield for the next 12 months is 2.4%. My view is, I think, I think these are pretty decent results. 17% rise in revenue is pretty good. Underlying operating profit falling 7% is disappointing. In the environment we're in, it's it's not that surprising. And I, th- I think the actual businesses are performing well. I like it. I think a valuation of just under 15 times earnings, I think it's pretty reasonably priced, especially when you factor in the potential for the US business in Primark, which is something we covered in a bit more detail the last time we covered it. And it's got a decent dividend as well. And even if the Primark overseas expansion is just a complete flop, it's still a decent business. So yeah, I like it. John, what are your thoughts on these results and the valuation? I mean, obviously, very good to see the the revenue growth. Margins are being squeezed. But I think for me, the attraction of Primark is, well, what I've become to appreciate is this US growth and seems to be going down very well. They're expanding from the East Coast. And it doesn't really look like that's factored into the price so much, as far as I can see anyway. So I quite, I quite like it, actually. And it is tough at the moment with the inflationary pressures. But once that eases up, you know, there are lots of opportunities, I think, for prime market under 15 times board earnings. I think it might already be on your watch list. But do you think, <laughs> is there anything that would cause you to pull the trigger on this? I think it's actually seeing the progress in the U.S., and hearing more about that, it doing well, and then this, you know, more stores being built, to be honest, I think that is, that, that, that's the bit that's pushing me, really. Hmm. I, I think it's it's probably one of the best UK stocks on my watch list that I don't own. I'm not sure what it would be that caused me to pull the trigger, because I just think, like, I, I think the US potential is pretty good. They've got a decent track record in the US, and it's only in the last few years they've started ramping it up, but it's still under 15 times earnings. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Fever Tree, and that's sort of priced for US domination, and this isn't, but I'd almost have more confidence in Primark doing that than I would with Fever Tree. But on on the flip side, I would say there's a lot of UK-listed retailers that we cover that are trying to crack America, at that low lower end of the market yeah you know because boohoo and asos are both trying to do pretty much the same thing i know they're not opening stores but they are trying to crack america 
But you look at the numbers and it's, it seems to be going quite well for Primark over there. And yeah. they are ramping up the expansion. So I think we should start to see whether or not it's working. Yeah. So do you buy shares now? Or do you, you know, I, yeah. I wouldn't buy it whilst I continue to own Boohoo, which I regret yeah. to inform everyone that I still do. <laughs> How's um, that doing? Well, they've rebounded a bit. They're at like 45p now. Okay. I own um, it, but I, I certainly don't look at the, the ticker for it. I think overall, because I've bought it multiple times on the way down, I think I'm only down about 40% of all <laughs> now. It might be 50, somewhere between 40 and 50, but it, it was close to 80 at one point. So for me, it's a big success story. Now. But yeah, I, I wouldn't want that and ABF. And then another one that I really like, which we, we cover a lot too, is Next. And yeah, it's just, it's you know, if I was to pull the trigger on ABF and Next, which I think are two of the best stocks on my watch list that I don't own, I would just be so uncomfortable with the amount of retail exposure I had. I think that is the difficulty. But if I didn't own any of the three today, I don't think Boohoo would be the one I'd be buying now. No, which is sad because it's the yeah. one we both own. So, yeah. <laughs> Unilever. So the biggest of the UK's consumer goods companies and owner of Ben & Jerry's and Dove Soap, amongst many others, they had a trading statement out for the first quarter with first quarter revenue coming in at 14.8 billion euros, reflecting underlying sales growth of 10.5%, which was well ahead of market expectations. Higher prices were the driver of the growth up 10.7%, which helped offset a 0.2% drop in volumes. Growth was led by the group's larger billion plus euro brands, spread across the full range of businesses, business units and geographies. These brands account for 54% of group turnover and delivered underlying sales growth of 12.1% with strong performances in Omo, which is Purcell, Hellman's, Roxona, which is Shaw and Lux. In terms of divisions, Beauty saw underlying sales growth of 9.3% with turnover of 3.1 billion euros. Personal care up 12.7% with turnover of 3.4 billion euros. Home care up 12.2% with turnover of 3.2 billion euros. And nutrition up 11.9% at 3.4 billion euros. Ice cream, which is Magnum and Ben and Jerry's, was up 6% to 1.7 billion euros. Underlying sales growth for the year is expected to be at the top end of the 3 to 5% ongoing target range. And price hikes are expected to continue over the first half and soften through the next year. The board announced a quarterly interim dividend of 42 cents a share. And in March, the group announced the third 750 million euro buyback, which is part of the total 3 million, or three, sorry, 3 billion euro buyback. In terms of valuation, Unilever has a market cap of £112 billion and trades at 19 times forward earnings, with a prospective dividend yield of 3.3%. I thought these results were very good, and we haven't seen a significant drop-off in volumes in this most recent quarter. Records were down 4.5%, which I think is a testament to how strong these brands are. And the group did raise its marketing spend, so investing in the brands by 500 million euros last year, and it's expected to rise again this year. I think the group has been bloated and made several or a number of slightly odd acquisitions over the past few years and getting involved in politics, culture wars. But they have a new CEO who's coming in and 
I'm much more optimistic about focusing back on those core brands and essentially realizing some more value in the company moving forward and hopefully replicating more what Nestle has been doing in recent years. And net debt, similar to Reckitt, sits at about two times EBITDA. It's not cheap, certainly, and I know what you're going to say, Sam, but I would certainly choose it if I were by, you know, choosing between Reckitt and Unilever as consumer goods companies, because they're essentially the same valuation at the moment. So on the basis of the brands, I'm probably more optimistic about the change, the change ahead of Unilever, uh, again, compared with Reckitt. Sam, your thoughts on Unilever? I thought the results were pretty decent. I think 10.5% growth is pretty good. It's better than Reckitt, although I appreciate Reckitt does have a bit more of a focus toward like the hygiene and cleaning products, which are up against tougher comparatives. It's also it's got the same three to five percent target for growth, <laughs> but they have said yeah. they'll be at the, the higher end of the range, so it might it might be a little bit better. I'm not sure how I feel about the valuation. The growth's pretty good. I just think at nearly 19 times earnings, nothing's really changed since the last time we covered it except the price because it was putting up about 10% then as well. The dividend's now gone down because the share price has gone up. The only real change is the new CEO. Don't know how... I mean, it's too, obviously he won't have had any impact really in these figures because he's just come in. I know they've got the 600 million cost-saving program. I don't know how much of that is him or was already in place, but... There doesn't seem to be much activity from the new CEO. I suppose that's not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah, I, I just think for 19 times earnings, it's I probably expect it to be putting up better figures than we're seeing. Because I'm assuming if we're not seeing the operating profit, it's not going to be a fantastic figure. Otherwise, they'd have put it in the trading statement. I do like the business and I do like the brands. But I, I just think at 19 times earnings, it, it is expensive. And it's it's more expensive than the last few times we've covered it. Fair enough. Whitbread. Yes. So Whitbread, for anyone not familiar with them, you should be familiar with Premier Inn. Yeah, they've also got some restaurant brands. The biggest one really is, is Beef Eater, but mainly the Premier Inn. They did used to have Costa as well, which they sold to Coca-Cola. So they have come out with their full year results and underlying full year revenues climbed 27% above pre-pandemic levels to $2.6 billion. Now reflected growth in Premier Inn, helped by fuller hotels, more rooms on offer and higher prices. It's more than offset weakness in food and beverage sales. Underlying operating profit rose more slowly than revenue, rising 12% to $544 million. Slower growth partly reflected higher operating losses in Germany. Whitbread generated free cash flow of $243.6 million. Net debt of $3.8 billion, including lease liabilities, was up 29% from March 2020. It's largely reflected the extra leases taken on in expanding the hotel estate. In the first seven weeks of this year, UK sales were up 17% compared to last year, with hotels continuing to outperform the wider market. UK cost inflation guidance remains unchanged at 7 to 8%. In Germany, accommodation sales were up 140%, reflecting the small size of the German business. Whitbread expects to add between 2,500 and 3,500 rooms across the UK and Germany this year. Board has announced a 43.5% increase to the dividend, and this is alongside a £300 million share buyback. I'm not sure why they're buying back shares. If they're, if they're expanding, if they're really going for the expansion in Germany, which it looks like they are, why not just put it into that? 
Surely they've got better uses for the cash. Anyway, Whitbread's Premier Inn is now the UK's largest hotel chain. And last year, they were able to increase revenues per room to 27% above the pre-pandemic levels. And business customers now make up about half of the accommodation revenue. They currently have 83,500 rooms in the UK and Ireland market, and they see a potential ceiling of 125,000 rooms, which is about 50% runway for growth. And Germany, which is currently tiny, they think there's a big opportunity there, with about 60% of the rooms being run by private hotels. It's a bit like, I mean, it's not quite as good as International Hotel Group, which just basically well, it just it just franchises which is probably the best business model but we bred actually own over half of its hotels rather than leasing them so it is it does put the balance sheet in a better position in terms of valuation the forward price to book is 1.42 and then compared to a 10-year average of 2.3 and the prospective yield is now 2.2 percent price to book i don't think is a particularly useful valuation method unless you're planning to liquidate the company which they're not so i thought the best way of measuring this, the easiest figure to use is free cash flow. And they are currently trading at 27 times free cash flow, which to me seems quite expensive for what it is. I don't think, I'm probably skeptical about the target of increasing the UK rooms by 50%. I think they possibly do have, you know, they could possibly do well in Germany, and, but it's going to be very expensive and it is a very expensive business to get into. For me, it's just not an industry I would ever be interested in. I think the business is now in a much better state than when we first started covering it. But, you know, that was in the pandemic when all the rooms were shut. So that's not really saying much. But, they, they, you know, considering it's a hotel business, they, they seem to be doing okay. It's just not an industry I'd ever touch. John, what are your thoughts? Pretty similar. I think in the UK, to me, it, and I appreciate, I don't no expert in this but it does just it feels really saturated you can't sort of almost move for premier ends so to expand that by 50 percent also the expense of expanding into germany i'm not convinced it's they really going to crack it either so i don't think it's an investable business it was much more attractive when it had costa but since costa's gone i don't see anything really in it yeah not one for me sam Right, well, swiftly moving on to one that may be for you at the right price, Nestle. <laughs> so the biggest of all of the consumer goods companies, sadly not listed in the UK, it's in fact the world's largest consumer goods company, Nestle, which owns many brands, including Nespresso and Kit Kat. They had their first quarter trading statement out with sales of 23.5 billion Swiss francs, reflecting organic growth of 9.3%. Price hikes of 9.8% drove the growth as volumes were slightly lower at by 0.5%. And as with all of the consumer goods companies, pricing efforts were helping offset ongoing cost pressures. There were broad-based growth across geographies and categories with Purina Pet Care as the most significant contributor. E-commerce sales grew by 13.6%, reaching 16.2% of total group sales. Plans are underway to establish a joint venture for Nestle's frozen pizza business in Europe, and the deal should close in the second half of 2023, subject to the required approvals. The group remains on track to deliver full-year organic sales growth of between 6 and 8%, Underlying operating margin have been between 17 and 17.5%. 17 
and underlying earnings per share growth of between 6 and 10%. In terms of valuation, Nestlé has a market cap of 305 billion Swiss francs, which is about 273 billion pounds, and it trades at 22 and a half times forward earnings with a prospective dividend yield of 2.8%. So it's not entirely dissimilar. It, I mean, fairly close to Unilever, Unilever maybe slightly better. I think as we followed all of these consumer goods companies, we looked at it over the last few years. Nestle has performed the best. Unilever's catching up a little bit now, and but I, certainly at the beginning and sort of post-pandemic, Nestle was by far and away the stronger performer. And as you can see by the market cap, it's by far and away the biggest. In fact, you could add Reckitt and Unilever, merge them together, and you still wouldn't be at the size of Nestle. Coming to its brands as well, it's got Nespresso, Nescafe, Kit Capuri. It's got some really, really strong ones there. I think it's the best run of the businesses. Again, though, it's reflected in the price and it's 20 t- 22 and a half times forward earnings. So it's cer- certainly not cheap. I imagine you're probably going to say similar things, Sam. It's all of these consumer goods companies in the difficult environment that we're in have the share price has been performing well and they are at higher valuations. I suppose it is that the defensive nature of the businesses and that they've so far been able to pass a lot of the costs onto the consumers and they haven't seen huge drop off in the volume. I mean, this this quarter it's been 0.5%. Would you stretch to Nestle or is it same story for you? It's pretty similar. I just wouldn't, I wouldn't pay 23 times earnings or 22 and a half times earnings for mm. a business that's only going to grow sales six to eight percent next year and on yeah. earnings per share six to ten, six to ten. But the business can't help the price <laughs> it trades at. In terms of these results, I think they are the best ones. I think Nestle probably has the best brands for me, although Unilever, I think, has some fantastic brands. I don't like Reckitt's brands as much, but they are still very good. I think to be able to raise prices 9.8% and only have a 0.5% drop-off in volumes, you know, outside of selling tobacco, it's really hard. So for Nestle to do that, I think it's really impressive. And Unilever too, actually. So that had, that increased prices with only a 0.2% drop in volumes. What did Reckitt Rackets was higher at 4.5%. But I think it's got some fantastic brands. For me, probably the best of the three businesses that we've covered in terms of brands. Operating margin is very good, 17 to 7.5%, or the underlying operating margin. I think it's higher than Unilever's, although I think historically... Yeah, it's about, about 16% for Unilever. Yeah, I think Unilever historically has been at, up at about 18 at one point. Mm. But it's a fantastic business. We've covered it multiple times, and every time we cover it, it just puts up fantastic figures. And that, that's reflected in the price. But since we last covered it, Nestle's price hasn't come down, but Unilever has gone up. So I think now the difference in figures and the quality of brands and just in terms of Nestle for a lot longer has been a much better run business, whereas Unilever has been a bit of a circus the last few years. I wouldn't buy any of them, but I would probably prefer now to pay 22.4 times earnings for Nestle than I would to pay 18.7 for Unilever. But I think you would be overpaying for either of them so i'd probably not buy either but if i had to buy one of the three it would be nestle because i think the difference in price for the 
historically worse figures and what I consider to be slightly worse brands, but still fantastic. I, I just don't think there's enough of a difference or as much as there should be. But yeah, I think the results are very good. And like I say, Nestle can't help the price it trades at. And the reason it trades at such a high price is because it's such a good business. Okay, on to our US company of the week. A quality company, Sam? I think it's hard to dispute. Um, <laughs> so McDonald's, I'm assuming everyone is familiar with it. But McDonald's come, have come out with their Q1 results. I think we may have covered McDonald's before once, but I can't remember what we concluded. Anyway, they've come out with their Q1 results and comparable sales increased by nearly 13% for the quarter, both globally and across each segment. And digital system-wide sales in their top six markets were nearly $7.5 billion for the quarter. And all these figures are in dollars, representing almost 40% of the system-wide sales. Global comparable sales increased 12.6%, reflecting strong comparable sales of 12.6% across each segment. And those segments are the US, which grew 12.6%, international operating markets, which grew 12.6%, and international developed licensed markets and corporate, which grew 12.6%. Consolidated revenues increased 4% and 8% in constant currency. So they have had some currency headwinds. System-wide sales increased 9% and that's 13% in constant currencies. Consolidated operating income increased 10%, and that's 14% in constant currencies. And diluted earnings per share was 2.45%, an increase of 66%, or 72% in constant currencies. However, excluding the 18 cents per share of restructuring charges, diluted earnings per share only increased 15%, or 19% in constant currencies. There wasn't really much else in here. They, They kept it kept the statement pretty sweet really normally we get a bit more fluff and detail but they don't really care i suppose it doesn't really matter because it's it's not a difficult business to understand so i'll move straight on to the valuation business trades at a pe of 31.58 but apparently a forward pe of 25 which makes it 50 percent more expensive than the s&p 500 and gives it a market cap of 217 billion dollars if I'm paying a forward PE of 25 and a current PE of 32, I expect some pretty decent growth. Um, and you just don't get it. So from 2007 to 2022, a 15-year period, revenue grew from $19 a share to 31 and a half, which is not that much considering it's spread over 50, you know, 50% increase over 15 years. It's just not that good per share. Earnings per share did a lot better, growing from $2 a share to over 8 However, it looks like two, 2007, I've not gone back that far, but 2007 might have been a one-off year because from 2008, it's already gone to 3.82. So 3.82 in 14 years to 8.39, again, not that good. Free cash flow is pretty similar, 3.35 from 2008 to $7.45 in 2022. And then in terms of the average annual price-to-earnings ratio, it starts a period at 25, which does suggest that those earnings are reduced earnings, and then the next year it's at 15. And it stayed in the teens until 2015 when it's gone to 20, and then it's just slowly increased. In 2022, it's at an average of 30. Now, this is just a fantastic business. It's definitely a business that I think at the right price I would like to own because it is just 
so impressive, but it does have to be the right price because if there's probably one business on the planet more than any other that's saturated, it has to be McDonald's. And what they've done is fantastic, but you're not really buying McDonald's for growth. So the dividend yield is about 2%. And I think this is a fantastic business. It's obviously a big mo, but you are primarily, I think, buying this for, for income, really. And 2% yield is just not good enough for a business that I don't think is going to grow significantly beyond inflation because I just I don't see where the growth comes from because <laughs> they're everywhere. And it is a fantastic business. I can't stress that enough, but... 25 times forward PA, it's just, I just think it's silly. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's very difficult. High quality business, but really top evaluation. And where it goes from here, I don't know. At the right price, I would like to own it. But again, it's, will it ever be the right price? It's kind of one of those companies, I think. The cheapest it's been in the last 15 years, 2009, it traded at an average PE ratio of 13.8. Um, 13.8 yes okay okay significantly more expensive now yeah oh yeah yeah so on a pe basis it's twice as expensive as it was in 2008 and more than twice as expensive in 2009 and it's 50 percent as expensive as it was in 2015 like most of the returns for this business in the last 15 years has come from the fact that the the pe ratio has increased yeah yeah it's interesting as well because it looks like it's actually historically traded cheaper than the S&P 500. And then in the last sort of 12, 18 months, it's it's now more expensive. But anyway, yeah. It's just strange, the shift in sentiment. Yeah. I don't know whether it's because of inflation or, or, or what, but yeah, it's just it's a fantastic business, but I just can't really, I don't know why you would pay 25 times forward PE for McDonald's. No. Okay, then. Of the companies this week, which one would you be taking home, Sam? So for me, it's, I think we've covered a lot of fantastic businesses this week. But I I think valuation is an issue on the majority. Whitbread, I would just rule out because I just wouldn't want a hotel. So you're left with what I would consider to be five very good businesses. And four of them are just immediately ruled out on valuation grounds. ABF the only one that's really left, I do actually like anyway. But yeah, it's it's quite an easy choice for me. It would be associated British Foods. What about you? Hmm. I do own two of them. I probably would go ABF as well. I appreciate I haven't done that with my own money yet. Um, I've just bought and held Wreck-It Newleaf for a long time. Newleaf has performed okay in that period but it has been over 10 years now yeah i think abf and it would be the the growth and the valuation i think that attracts me with the the u.s expansion Mm. right in that case thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you all next week see you next week thank you for listening to the investor way to get in touch please follow us on twitter at tiw tweets This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.